Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 27 of The Weekly Brew. I'm Austin Statton, joined alongside Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. A quick note here before we dive into things, we want to welcome in all of our new listeners this week as episode 26 of the podcast was heard in more than a dozen countries, including the UK, Canada, Belgium, Australia, Japan, Brazil, and Argentina. So not a bad week for this Houston-based podcast. Now, Kevin, I also heard that you made your podcast debut this week in Southern California. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, just welcome into the uh, Australian listeners. I listen to a lot of Australian podcasts. Nice to have some people from down under. Uh, Will Anderson is a personal favorite of mine. But I was a guest this week on uh, Houston Rockets podcast, which is a California-based podcast that talks about the Houston Rockets every week. And uh, we've had Jay Leasy on this show before. He was a great guest, and I encourage you to go back and check out that episode. But uh, yeah, so Houston Rockets available on iTunes. Uh, I, I think I killed it. Uh, they said I killed it. You know, I don't know if they were just being nice, but uh, certainly interesting content. And they do things a little differently over there. I did get to spread my wings and swear a little bit, and uh, and it felt good. I did listen to the podcast, and it did seem like the swearing was forced. It seemed like you had a lot of pent-up frustration for not being able to swear on the show. But uh, we thank you for allowing this to be a clean podcast on iTunes. But Jeremy, how was your week? How you doing? Well, this weekend I had uh, the pleasure of being able to follow closely a, uh, a family member, namely my little brother, who is uh, the personal driver for Senator Ted Cruz uh, on the campaign trail in Iowa. So uh, my little brother was hanging out with both Ted Cruz and Glenn Beck at some sort of campaign event. So um, he uh, he got to hang out with the senator and get his uh, his thoughts on what he's going to do when he comes president. So um, really interesting for his side. For me, not not so much going on, but um, it was really exciting to, to see him do that. So I, I have two quick questions for you, Jeremy. What president is Ted Cruz going to become? Is it, is it going to be a, some like, uh, you know, business or banking association? And, and two, did your brother ask him to be on the podcast? Ted Cruz, I believe, is running for president of the United States. Uh, I believe he's on the ballot and will be here in Texas on Super Tuesday. Did he ask him to come on the podcast? No, not that I'm aware of, but uh, I'll get back to you on that. I don't want him. Kevin, you can't just say that. I mean, you said if anyone is a fan of the podcast then you're their biggest fan. Ah, oh, but it stops at Republican presidential candidates, honestly. That's as far as it goes for me. You know, it's, it's kind of comical. Uh, you're all about diversity, inclusion, open ideas. But if they're Republican, it doesn't matter. Are, are you kidding me? Would you not want Donald Trump on this podcast? Would that not be the most entertaining thing? That's a little different. Trump isn't, isn't so much a Republican as he is just an absolutely outlandish public figure. I would totally have Trump on, and we'd skewer him, I would assume. But, uh, but Ted Cruz? Come on, guys. So Ted Cruz, if you're listening, um, come on to the podcast. We definitely have an open invitation for you. But speaking of open invitations, uh, we want to provide an open invitation for our listeners to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And we actually had a, a few new reviews this week, and Kevin will get into that at the end of the podcast today. But as always, you can go to iTunes and you could search for Weekly Brew. And uh, from there, you can leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Also, you can find us on our social media platforms. Search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also find us at weeklybrewcast.com. And before we actually dive into things, we just want to let you know that we have some good guests on today. We've got Matt Melatesta from Vite Magazine and a former Marine, Johnny Rhodes, who has a unique culinary concept coming here to Houston. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, We Desserts. 
They are having their two-year anniversary coming up on February 1st. Kevin, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? I still know relatively little about it, except that it's very exciting. They want people to come out. Uh, They are discounting all of their desserts to $2 to celebrate their two-year anniversary. Numerically, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think there'll be a lot of people out there kind of milling about getting to know the bakery as it's been um, kind of redone. And uh, I think the floors, the walls, I'm not a construction worker. I don't really know how those things work. But it looks beautiful, and it's a great space, and they certainly uh, bake some very nice desserts out there. So on February 1st, all day long, $2 desserts. You should get out there, get to know the place, get to know the people. Uh, Penny and Jen, both wonderful, wonderful people, and they do wonderful, wonderful desserts there. So uh, February 1st, check it out. Yeah, check them out at 3411 Kirby here in Houston, and all listeners of the podcast get 10% off their final order. But as always, we've got a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew is Matt Malatesta, co-publisher of Vibe Magazine. And if you're not familiar with Vibe Magazine, it's essentially the Sports Illustrated for high school sports. Matt, how's it going? Going good, guys. How are y'all, man? Not too bad. I guess just quickly looking at things, uh, one of the big days in high school athletics and college athletics in general is February 3rd, which is just around the corner, and that's actually National Signing Day. What is that moment like for you when it comes to the culmination of all these student athletes finally, you know, all of these student athletes that you've covered over the years finally making that decision to go to the university, whether it's to play football, basketball, volleyball, or a number of other sports? Well, we kind of treat it as a celebration. It's really great for these kids that sign on National Signing Day. But, you know, the job is already done. All of the recruiting, all of our coverage, a lot of it um, happens months and months before this because so many kids commit early now so just that national signing day is fun to go around to high schools of course there will be two or three kids that are going to announce late late in the process being national signing day um and we'll go see where they end up committing but it's really kind of a celebration for these kids across the city of houston probably 120 130 plus d1 heading the d1 route and then you probably got another Two to three hundred kids that are going to go one, you know, double A or or what they call FCS, as well as JUCO. So, it's really cool. Kudos to those kids because it's a lot of hard work to get to this level. You guys put in a lot of hard work when it comes to ranking the top one hundred student athletes. When it comes to uh, you know football and uh, where they rank. Uh, you know, the scholarship offers that they have. What process do you take in terms of evaluating these student athletes? I mean, do you talk with coaches? Do you look at film? Take me through that. So it happens earlier and earlier now because we're doing, you know, we just launched our 2017 list of our Fab 50. So the process really starts um, maybe, you know, sophomore year for a lot of these kids. We start seeing them pop up on all district teams and all state teams. We're getting kind of some buzz from coaches. Hey, you got to see this kid. Oh, this is the next big thing. Um, and then we really start researching. I mean, Huddle, the Huddle world, which Huddle is H-U-D-L, is it's really changed the game of recruiting because that's a program. It's really a computer program that allows kids and coaches to make video, highlight video, so easily available to everyone. And we're able to start evaluating kids at such a younger age and through, through, you know, video, which is really provided by Huddle. And uh, that's really been a game changer. And then we do go through and see who's been offered by where and, you know, what college coaches are filling needs and, and why some kids are being offered by some places that they're being offered by just today. You know, it, there's so many vast, crazy stories and, you know, 
coming out of Stratford today. Um, there, there's a pair of brothers over there. One is a 2016 kid, Alex Miller. He committed and is going to Northwestern. His brother just committed today, Sam Miller, for the 2017 class. So, you know, the way the recruiting game works into kind of slot kids where they should go, it's really based on video, coaches' recommendations, accolades, really size and speed and measurables and then where kids So, Matt, this is Kevin, and I don't know if you remember, but the, our coverage kind of overlaps. I cover a lot of high school stuff, and I'm curious. You know, I've seen some really explosive athletes here in the city of Houston. Uh, you know, like Darren Fox comes to mind, uh, Courtney Davis earlier in the football season. Just thinking back to the past couple of months, who are some of the kids that were most exciting or explosive or the best talents you've seen here in the city? Well, I'll tell you what, a guy that's really come on, he, he's been good the last couple of years, but had to share a lot of carries is George Ranch running back Darius Anderson. I mean, this guy carried their team, much like Trey Williams did a couple years back at the Caney and then went on to you know, A&M and now plays in the NFL. Darius Anderson dominated the Houston area landscape as a running back, as a senior. Had a share of carries the previous couple of years. He's just – he decommitted from Missouri a couple weeks back, a couple – you know, about a, two months back. And now he just committed to TCU. Great fit for him. But just a kid, great kid, fun to watch, and just exploded onto the scene um, <clears throat> during his senior year. Another one is Caleb on Chase on the North, uh, the North Shore defensive end. He's got an amazing story, which we can t- touch on at some point. His dad played at Baylor. He, had, he went and played basketball for the past two years didn't even put on a football uniform he's just a junior now he goes back out for the football team he goes to some summer camps last summer he gets offered by five or six high major d1 schools and he leads north shore's defense to the classic day big school state championship and was the defensive player of the year a year ago he wasn't even playing football he was playing basketball those are just two guys that have really kind of exploded onto the scene lately. That's crazy, but when you're athletic, you're athletic. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we've seen recently is a lot of student-athletes being able to excel in multiple sports. You know, I know a lot of football coaches like their offensive linemen to play basketball, so they have, you know, the, the footwork down. In terms of playing multiple sports, how important is it for student-athletes in the recruiting process to show that they can play multiple sports, multiple positions? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, you got football kids that, that – the best sport that they do is track, right? It just builds speed and keeps them in shape. Um, but a sport that's kind of weird that's coming on, that's being that kids are playing dual sports, be it football or really football kids are really taken on to taking a love to for lacrosse. It's physical, it's fast, it's great footwork, hand-eye coordination, which is kind of is kind of a weird deal where they're playing, you know football and lacrosse but it's got a lot of similar characteristics you see it mostly in kind of suburban areas but you see a lot of football players getting on the lacrosse field which is interesting and then of course football and track is a great crossover you do see some football and basketball it's kind of interesting episcopal defensive defensive tackle marvin wilson who's the number one recruit in the nation for 2017 He's the star of the basketball team. He is a load in the post. But I, I feel like college coaches really see the importance of playing multiple sports. 
I do still feel like high school coaches really don't like to get, you know, let loose of their athletes where they won't have them in the off season. Um, the high school coaches will say, oh, yeah, we want you to play multiple sports. Mm, kind of. They really don't <laughs> like it to cut into their time of, you know, a Marvin Wilson playing football or a kid playing, you know, basketball that's really a basketball star. You know, the basketball coaches want to hold on to them and vice versa. So, Matt, one thing we've talked about a lot on this show has been, um, you know, the, the publicity surrounding concussions, head injuries, the sport of football in general. And, you know, in the film Concussion, they talked about, um, you know, if 10% of players uh, stop playing football at, you know, the youth level, the sport would die. So I'm curious from your perspective and kind of covering um, high school sports and, and recruiting, have you noticed any sort of um, waning in the enthusiasm kids have for football or does the sport seem to be uh, kind of moving right along despite these uh, incidences? Its parents are definitely concerned about this at a younger age so you're seeing kids starting to play football at a later age maybe seventh eighth grade they start you know playing in their middle schools and such they don't you know uh, the, a lot a lot of the leagues that are being affected are these younger leagues around the city and i'm telling you what there is a ton of kids playing in these leagues that's tackle football at the age of you know second third fourth grade that's beginning to dip a little bit just because of the head issues. And I'm telling you what, you see these kids play football, it's like a bobblehead. There's, the helmets are bigger than the kids at that age. <laughs> so um, you, you, you're seeing a little of that waning. But once you get into that seventh grade level, we're seeing kind of the opposite where there's more and more select football spring full pad, full contact leagues sprouting up around the city of Houston and around the state of Texas. A lot of kids are playing seven-on-seven. Seven. You're going to see a big change in the next couple of years with seven-on-seven. Seven. They're going to be kind of wearing these kind of old-school-looking leather, leathery helmets to prevent concussions in that seven-on-seven seven world. But I'm telling you, man. That's interesting. The select football-padded spring world is starting to take shape in the – UIL and football coaches around the state are not thrilled. So, so this stands sort of opposite uh, what a lot of commentators have talked about, you know, the, the quote unquote death of football here in the next 20 to 25 years. Um, you don't see that happening at all, at least um, at the youth level. Well, not at the youth. I mean, at the younger, younger level, they're, they're not playing that padded crush them, you know, type, type football. But as they get older, there's still a ton of kids playing football this is you know i had somebody tell me this you know the state bird is the mockingbird the state flower is the blue bond the state sport is high school football so <laughs> it's not going away in texas it might be going away in some other regions where it's not as feverish. you know it's not not as feverish um you know for their communities but man High school football and football in Texas is alive and well. One of my questions for you, Matt, is I know you've you've been around the high school sports scene and and you know everything in the past ten fifteen years. You mentioned your time uh, with Rivals dot com, uh, working fifteen years with them. You've covered some remarkable athletes during that time. Is there one athlete or one program that kind of sticks out above them all? Well, I remember seeing uh, a ninth grader at a seven on seven tournament. He's playing up playing varsity and he's just throwing laser beams i'm like man he's kind of thin but kind of rangy and maybe six two like, this guy is just got it i went over and 
asked his team, you know, what grade was he in? He was a freshman in high school. I'm like, man, this guy's got a future. Well, it ended up being Andrew Luck who started, you know, <laughs> who just who yeah, just burned up the league. Wow. Um, and then was a star at Stratford, and now you know he'll he'll be an NFL Hall of Famer. But you know, you see people like that. You see like. Trey Williams, I mentioned earlier, the football player, the, the running back over at the King, he carried that team to a state title. He's a little undersized. He is getting some time in the league. But I tell you, you know, the Harrison twins are special. They were special at Travis. Didn't We maybe overcooked them a little bit, but I tell you what, they were ahead and shoulders above the rest in the basketball world Houston. Played in Kentucky, haven't really done much in the NBA. Justice Winslow was one of the nicest kids carrying bags. He would carry his teammates' bags around all over the place as a freshman and sophomore. His brother was a little older than him. And, you know, he just had to kind of pay his dues at a tiny school called, uh, not St. Thomas. Um, St. John's. But the, uh, Yeah, St. John's in right in River Oaks. And this guy is now a superstar in the NBA for Miami, played at Duke. He's done everything right. And he learned that from, you know, his siblings that, you know, grew up and did it before him. And, you know, he was really one of those special kids as well as, like, talent. You're like, this guy is a can't-miss guy. Dan Fox is the same kind of guy. I mean, you talk about marketable. This cat is marketable now. And he hadn't even played, you know, he hadn't even scored a basket at Kentucky yet. This guy's got it, the height, explosion, the smile, the charisma. The media savviness, he's just got it. You know this guy is the future. He's going to be a star in the NBA. He's a, an underrated passer, too, although he doesn't have any teammates around him. But uh, aside from De'Aaron, are there any guys playing right now at the high school basketball level in the city of Houston that would be worth you know the listeners going out to take a look at that might have a future you know, uh, at the high level in college or, or maybe even playing the league someday? Yeah, the, one of the, fun, the most fun team to watch, I think, is a, is, is a task of seat on the east side of town. They're the number one team in the country. And... Mm-hmm. They're the number one team in the state of Texas, of course, but they've got three players on their team that really make them go. But the most exciting player in Houston is a kid named Carson Edwards. He's about a five foot ten point guard. He's committed to Purdue. Great, great selection for him. A place where he's going to get and he's going to be able to play. He's not going to have to sit and wait and transfer, move around. He's going to get to Purdue and be able to play. But that that Atasca see the team. This is their year. You know, he, they're going to represent Houston in the state tournament this year. They've got a big kid named Fabian White, who's just a junior. He just transferred from Kingwood, went to Atascacita. He's going to be a high, high major kid uh, for them as well. But they're fun to watch. Elkins is fun to watch over in the Fort Bend area. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of a weird uh, – it's kind of hard to pigeonhole – these prep schools, but Jared Vanderbilt is an NBA player. Also, Jared Vanderbilt plays at victory prep and people are like, what the, what is this crap? What is these, what are these prep schools? But he, it's a basketball school basically. And this guy is all about basketball, six foot nine, just can virtually do everything on the court. He's, he's the next big thing as well. He's just a, uh, he's a junior this year. He's one of the top players in the country. Um, so he's kind of exciting to watch. But the trend of, you know, basketball is going the way of these prep schools, home schools, private schools. It's kind of weird, but 
something you got to live with. But there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of kids out there that are playing basketball, and, and these college coaches are going to find them regardless if they're homeschoolers, they play in the biggest school in Texas, or they play in a you know a prep school. Uh, there's just a lot of talent here. Matt, speaking of you know basketball and high school football, and, and thinking about how that talent is rated, I, I, I think to myself. Um, there are a lot of kids I see that do well in college and, and even go on to the pros who weren't necessarily the highest rated um, out of high school. I was kind of wanted to ask you about that rating system. Do you see a lot of kids uh, get passed over because um, coaches don't recognize their talent or um, maybe they haven't peaked yet? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? The rating system is so subjective, okay? Just like any, you know, kind of, Sport that's subjective. It's the it, it's the most subjective. If you don't fit the profile, size, weight, speed, a measurable, you're gonna get passed over from the jump. You have to you're gonna have to be electric on film. That's really pop off of you know game film. So the other piece of it is this: kids that are so um, highly rated and stuff. They lose that fire. They lose that hunger. The kids that are not recruited, that are not, you know, get all that love early, these kids are hungry. And that's what drives. That's what you see all these kids from, you know, Townsend State and places like that that are doing well in the NFL because these cats are straight up hungry. And that's the difference in sports. I mean, if you're a five-star, oh, my gosh. Jadavion Clowney is, was a five, uh, the five of the five stars. You got to motivate that dude to play football. <laughs> I don't even know if he likes playing football, but you got kids that love the sport and just want are willing themselves to be there. Those are a team that you want. Those are kids you want to build teams around. Speaking of athletes like that, uh, Carson Wentz, who's arguably one of the top-rated quarterback prospects in this year's NFL draft, he was a no-star recruit. He didn't have a Division One offer and ended up going to North Dakota State. So, again, as Matt was saying, it's if you work your tail off and try to prove people wrong, you can make things happen. One of the things that I'm curious about, Matt, is that we had mentioned that you're the co-publisher of Vite Magazine. Uh, for those that live in Houston that aren't quite familiar with the publication, can you give the listeners a little overview of what Vipe is exactly? So we're a magazine that comes out. 12 times a year, free publication you can find around the city, places like, you know, HEB, Time-Wise Convenience Stores, Sports Authorities, all the high schools. And we cover high school sports, and we go really in-depth. It's not like the scores and stats and stuff. This is like kind of – it's kind of like um, a high school magazine that talks – I mean, we, we do everything from bass fishing tournaments that high schoolers are involved to to, you know, class 6A state championship games. So it, we cover all sports, boys and girls. If there's ever a person that has the most fun job, it might be me. <laughs> That's always great. Uh, Matt Malatesta, again, co-publisher of Vite Magazine. We're big on social media, Matt. I'm curious. Our listeners, they want to find you. They want to find your content. Where can they find it? Uh, web-wise, just go to vitehouston.com. That's V-Y-P-E, Houston.com. And then social media-wise, just look. Uh, we're at Vite Houston on twitter instagram facebook we're also uh vipe.houston on snapchat that's what all the kids are doing these days as you know vipe <laughs> Houston on photo so 
how's the Snapchat account going for you? And enjoying it? You enjoying it? It's fire, bro. It's just fire. It's, just, <laughs> it's so fun. But here's the problem: I see way too many things I shouldn't be seeing on Snapchat. I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's there for. Yeah. Well, Matt, we definitely appreciate you taking the time out and joining us on the podcast, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again soon as you know National Signing Day finishes up. And uh, enjoy the rest of your week. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thanks to you. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So this past week, I was actually discussing with one of my friends about a potential trip to Europe and the Middle East, and it got me thinking, I mean, do you guys travel much? As little as possible. (laughs) I appreciate the honesty. Jeremy, what about you? Love traveling, though admittedly, I don't do as much of it as I'd like to. So if you had the opportunity to travel to a place like North Korea, would either of you jump on that bandwagon? Uh, absolutely. Why wouldn't you want to become a part of an international incident in a country as hostile to the U.S. as North Korea? Well, that's exactly what Otto Warmbier, which I think is first off a great name. Uh, Otto Warmbier, 21-year-old student at the University of Virginia and a member of the Theta Chi fraternity, was arrested at a Pyongyang airport. The incident occurred just four days before North Korea conducted the nuclear test that uh, you know made international headlines uh, just a few weeks ago. But here's the interesting part from the Washington Post. The Korean Central News Agency um, had a story, and it said that Warmbier was arrested while perpetrating hostile act against the DPRK after entering it under the guise of tourists for the purpose of bringing down the foundation of a single-minded unity at the tacit convenience of the U.S. government and its manipulation. I mean, one, a 21-year-old, what is he going to do? Is he going to take down Kim Jong-un? And and second, why is, why is he even going over to North Korea? To me, that's just mind-blowing. Well, as far as what I know about this guy, um, the New York Times uh, linked to a Facebook picture of him um, in which he poses beside a cow and it has the caption, one picture that captures my compassion for animals, worldly travels, and designer sunglasses, which I, I think he actually probably meant passion instead of compassion, so I'm not sure what kind of education he's receiving, but uh, he just strikes me as being, um, I'm not sure if I can say the word that I'm thinking of here, or the other one I just thought of either, um, sort of a douche. Is that one okay? He's a very punchable face. I mean, I, if I was the, the North Koreans, I, I certainly would have detained him just for that purpose alone. But um, they've used American, American tourists as pawns in the past uh, against the U.S. So I don't know, maybe it is because he's a douche, Kevin. Just a note on his educational background. Uh, he actually attends UVA, which is a great institution. And he's part of, I guess, this uh, honors program, which is only open to 250 people at the university. So he's a smart kid with a penchant for travel. Actually, there's a website called totalfratmove.com, and uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. After um, hearing of this news, one of the writers on the website said, basically, they're accusing a 21-year-old kid who wears fuchsia pants and croquis of being a spy for the United States government who vacated to North Korea in an attempt to overthrow communism. I don't know. I, I, I think the whole thing's interesting. And uh, I think a lot of this falls on to a group called Young Pioneers, who he actually booked the travel to. Uh, if you go to their website, they actually have a frequently asked questions page. They contend that traveling to North Korea is, quote, extremely safe. Despite what you may hear, North Korea is probably one of the safest places on Earth to visit. Tourism is very welcome in North Korea. Thus, tourists are cherished and well taken care of, the travel agency says. It goes on to say that we have never felt suspicious or threatened at any time. In fact, North Koreans are super friendly and accommodating. If you let them into your world, even during tense political moments, tourism in the DPRK is never affected. I don't buy into that. 
I will say that on the New York Times article I'm reading, it uh, says that tour agencies advise their clients not to preach religion or engage in political debates while in the North, which frankly is good advice for any tourist anytime. Um, but one American was arrested for leaving a Bible behind in his hotel. And this is my favorite part. North Korean customs officials inspect the visitors' laptops, DVDs, and computer memory sticks, and they treat the possession of pornography or publications criticizing their government as critical criminal acts. And I, uh, I don't know a lot of people that would pass that kind of rigorous screening personally. Maybe all my friends are scumbags, but it's seems like a bad idea to go over there if you engage in any of those sorts of activities. Jeremy, you had actually mentioned uh, prior to recording today, one of your friends actually just returned from North Korea. What did he say that experience was like? I didn't get to talk to him personally about his experience, but from his pictures on social media, I mean, the DPRK is a very interesting and bizarre place. Um, Certainly, it's just sort of locked in time. It looks like um, an old propaganda video from just years past. Um, I know that in various places that he visited, um, the... There seemed to be a lot of staged scenes specifically for him to make it look like people are actually busy with jobs when really they're just actors making it seem like things are going on. Um, he had to, it looked like he had to dress a certain way when he was there, which I found kind of odd. Um, but just just a bizarre country and uh, certainly not one on my list of countries that I want to visit anytime soon. It sounds like this kid might have been arrested for wearing fuchsia pants. That's what I'm hearing. So rule number one, if you travel to a hostile country or uh, what George W. Bush called a country that is part of the axis of evil, do not wear croquis or fuchsia pants to draw attention to yourself. That is a free tip from the Weekly Brew podcast. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. A few weeks ago on the podcast, we had Sports Illustrated's Lindsay Schnell on, and she talked a lot about the challenges of being a woman in sports and covering sports in general as a journalist. Well, things just changed a little bit for the better this past week as the Buffalo Bills named Catherine Smith a special teams quality coach on Wednesday, making her the NFL's first full-time female assistant coach. And of course, there were sexist responses that followed. And I, I will say that a lot of the um, reports that I have seen have been you know, mostly positive and accepting of uh, Catherine's uh, new position. However, there was a show, uh, a radio show in Cleveland, Ohio, um, called Kylie and Carmen. And uh, Kevin Kylie did not have kind words. Caitlin or Catherine or whatever her name is, she's, uh, she's been hired as a, this is absurd, by the way, uh, she's been hired as a quality control coach. <laughs> Catherine uh, Smith. Catherine, sure. She's using an alias, is she? Catherine Smith. What resume? Did it include shoulder pads? I mean, come on. What are we talking about? What do you mean, did it include shoulder pads? There's guys who coach who never who didn't play at a high level. We've been through this a thousand times. No, we haven't. Not you no, and me. No place for a woman in professional sports in football coaching men. Men will not take to it. You now, well. you may, if you have ten men on special teams... Eight of them will be mumbling under their breath. It's counterproductive. You're pu- you're setting her up to fail. Quite ridiculous comments by Kevin Kiley. Kevin, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, he's a fellow Kevin, so I'm ashamed of him on a number of levels. Uh, obviously, I like to have the name Kevin represented better because it is very common. And uh, sometimes I'm the best Kevin out there, I feel like. But um, this is... It is absurd, and he does have a platform, which is unfortunate, and it's just another example of someone 
being very begrudging about women gaining any sort of traction because let's say football clearly in his mind is one of the few last bastions of like male dominance where women are really not permitted in. He actually goes on to talk about the Hall of Fame vote too. I don't know if we're going to use that cut, but um, he says women shouldn't have a Hall of Fame vote and they shouldn't work in football. And he's like, it's fine with other professional sports, but football, that's really for men. And so it's, if you look at her position here, she's a quality control coach on the special teams. She's basically going to be breaking down film. Um, Some people have described the role as being kind of like a gopher which is a bit dismissive, but um, the idea is she's not, you know, calling plays or anything like that. And yet even that tiny amount of power uh, or work going to a woman is just a sign that like men are losing their stronghold. He gets really, really out of control, upset. And it's another sign of people with privilege losing it and responding very, very poorly, I think. His comments are silly uh, just based on uh, looking at the circumstances around uh, Catherine Smith as she was hired by Rex Ryan. Um, He... I mean, he, he actually uh, had suggested this position for her. She wasn't gunning for it. Uh, she wasn't trying to take it from anybody. Uh, he suggested the position to her when uh, the guy who had it before her just kind of left unexpectedly. And um, apparently her qualifications are just um, stellar. And uh, it, the hire is no surprise based on her history and performance. And I mean, um, I, I just this whole this whole thing is yeah I mean it's like Kevin said there's some guys that think that football is a man's sport and that women should not be involved at any level which is ironic because if you look across the NFL in several administrative positions um, and other positions on teams that are not necessarily related to coaching women are are uh, um, I mean they're all over the place and so I, I just don't uh, this is just to me this is very silly and I don't I have no problem whatsoever with uh, a, a woman coach in this position, or uh, I, I think it'd be interesting if we, you know, saw a woman in a head coaching position at some point. I think that's probably going to take a long time for it to actually happen. I mean, the NFL is probably about a hundred years behind the rest of the world when it comes to, uh, you know, equal rights. I mean, uh, the stories that you hear from locker rooms are just um, outright ridiculous in some circumstances. Um, but you know, I, I definitely commend Rex Ryan for making this move. However, he, he was not the first. He was not the first coach to you know kind of step into that arena. Uh, if you'll recall, this past fall uh, during NFL preseason, uh, the Arizona Cardinals actually had a uh, a training camp preseason coaching intern. Uh, her name was Jen Welter, and uh, it was kind of a breakthrough. You know, she she I guess had played professional football. Um, in, in some capacity and had grown up around football her entire life. Uh, I believe her, her dad was a coach, but uh, Bruce Arians, who is the head coach for the Cardinals said that, you know, when he's looking at coaches, he evaluates it at this. He says that the minute they can prove they can make a player better, they'll be hired noting that it's all the player really wants. He said, coaching is nothing more than teaching. One thing I have learned from players is, how are you going to make me better? If you can make me better, I don't care if you're the Green Hornet, man. I'll listen. I really believe that she'll have a great opportunity with the internship through training camp to open some doors for her. So, unfortunately, nothing has transpired for uh, Jen Welter since that opportunity. But it's great to see uh, Catherine Smith uh, get this opportunity with the Buffalo Bills. Kevin, I know you're a huge basketball fan, and one of the most respected and arguably one of the best head coaches in the game right now is Greg Popovich, head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. And just a few years ago, he named Becky Hammond one of his assistant coaches. Now, Becky Hammond actually had a long career in the WNBA. Uh, She played from 1999 to 2014 as a point guard. And in 2014, she was named an assistant coach for the Spurs. The Spurs seem to love her. It seems like a progressive organization and that this is actually an opportunity for her to grow. And Jeremy had mentioned a little bit earlier about seeing a woman as a head coach. I think Becky Hammond could be that first head coach 
in a men's professional sports league. Kevin, what is your thought on women finally getting the opportunity to coach a sport that they care about? Well, you know, I was there at the uh, Christmas game when the Spurs came to town and Becky Hammond sat, I don't know, 12, 14 feet away from me. Um, as you know, if you've seen the seats and we sit very close to the opponent's bench and the opposing coaches and uh, seemed very competent, very with it. You know, uh, when she was talking to players, they were responding to her. I really didn't notice a difference in um, the way that she comported herself versus any other assistant coach. And the Spurs, obviously, very well-run organization, which is what's interesting about this story. To me, it's no surprise that Greg Popovich and the Spurs were really progressive. But with the Catherine Smith thing, I was kind of surprised to hear that Rex Ryan and the Bills were making this sort of a move. Proud for them. Um, you know, it clear, clearly, qualifications wouldn't matter to Rex. Coach Ryan, he might prefer, and uh, he doesn't care about gender, which kind of surprised me a little bit. I'm I'm a little higher on the bills now after hearing that, but um, certainly there are people that are very resistant to it, particularly in the sport of football. And if you go back to to Kylie's comments, you know, he says, um, if you have 10 men playing on special teams, eight of them will be mumbling under their breath. It's counterproductive. You're setting her up to fail. Uh, You know, the idea that we need to coddle these misogynistic men in these sports by not permitting women into them is counterproductive and counterintuitive. The only way to break down those barriers is to break break down those barriers and actually put women in positions where they can show that they are competent, where they can show that they deserve to be there and where men who are athletes and maybe misogynists, maybe not sort of get the opportunity to see, Hey, um, you know, she can make me better. And, and as we talked about, that's really what matters. So, I mean, good on the spurs, good on the bills. It's nice to see, um, you know, obviously we want to get to a point where there are lots of women in lots of these positions where you wouldn't even think twice about it being a woman, but we're not there yet. And it's certainly something to celebrate at this point in time. And I'm happy for Catherine Smith and, you know, I hope she makes the most of her opportunity. And given what I've heard about her credentials, her work ethic and her spirit, I think she probably will. And adding on to a point, uh, Kevin's point there, um, something, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, when these women are coming into these positions that they are qualified. And I mean, Rex Ryan made that extremely clear um, during the announcement. In fact, he, uh, reading his comments here, he was actually surprised at how much uh, attention this is getting. Um, and it, it seems like he, he made this, this is a business decision for him, uh, which I applaud him for. This wasn't some, you know, he wasn't trying to make a statement. He wasn't trying to, to get attention. Um, he's just trying to do what's best for the Bills team um, as an organization. So I, I really have to applaud him for that. And I, I, I wish uh, Catherine Smith all the best. Let's go back to Kylie's comments for a moment. If you listen to the full audio, which we'll post on our Facebook page, his comments are kind of ridiculous. He says that essentially you have to have played football to be a football coach. He said, that's the only way that people are going to gain respect for you. I know that all three of us are fans of college football. And if you look at college football, some of the most successful coaches never played football. David Cutcliffe, head coach at Duke. Hugh Freeze, head coach at Ole Miss. Uh, one of my personal favorites, the Pirate, uh, Mike Leach, head coach at Washington State. I mean, Sonny Dykes at Cal. These coaches never played collegiate football, yet they're very, very successful. Scott Drew, the head basketball coach at Baylor University, was a manager. He never played college basketball. But if you know the game and you have a passion for it and you want to develop players, if you want to develop athletes, what? why should gender hold you back? I don't think that he really meant that in a logical, philosophical sense. I think that he's just scrabbling for any explanation as to why a woman shouldn't be allowed into this club of sorts. And it's very clear from listening to him and his passion that he's just outraged a woman is even in the position at all, even though it's a very, you know, low on the totem pole entry level position. But I think it's clear from his comments, he fears that she is going to rise up the ranks and may eventually put herself in position to be, you know, uh, a coordinator or a a head coach at some point down the line. That just seems to tear 
verify him. I don't think that um, his co-host actually makes the point that, you know, there are lots of guys coaching at a high level in the NFL that never played at a high level. And he said, but, but they're not, they're not women, you know, they're men. And, uh, and he talked about, this is a really weird quote. I think when you stand next to a woman, are you bigger and stronger? Do you have the ability to impose your will physically on most people? Women don't have that. That is such a weird place for the human brain to go in having this conversation. It goes right to physical intimidation, kind of um, almost subconsciously bragging about his ability to physically intimidate women. And I think it's a really stark, scary look at what goes on in the mind of Kevin Kiley and what goes on in the mind of a lot of men, presumably. And this is uh, just a very public, um, broadcasted example of what happens all the time inside people's heads, I think. But there's no way to get to the place that we want to go without having these sorts of discussions and without putting up with this sort of um, furor and uproar and kind of answering it with logic and criticism and, you know, progressing forward as a society. If we're talking about stature, I mean, Drew Brees, like Julian Edelman, Wes Walker. I mean, these guys are all tiny and they're great at football. So I don't know. That is, I think Kevin Kiley is just highly misguided in some of his viewpoints. And uh, we're definitely glad to see Rex Ryan give Catherine Smith an opportunity. Look forward to watching her next year. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Within the past five years, national publications such as Forbes, The New York Times, and several travel-based magazines have named Houston as one of the best cities in America, and in large part because of the diversity the town has to offer, especially in the culinary world. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew is Johnny Rhodes, who is kind of bringing a unique flair back to Houston. Johnny, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. So you've got a pop-up restaurant that is actually going to be having their second dinner here on January 31st. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What is a pop-up dinner and kind of what made you want to do something like this? It's about location. Uh, giving people something that's a little unique and different from your everyday or regular restaurant that you can you know, uh, go to. Um, it's also all about uh, being creative and giving, like I said, not only giving somebody a unique location, but also giving them, you know, unique food that you just, you know, you won't find in Papacitos or anything like that. So your restaurant is called Jensen Chronicles. And again, you've got uh, kind of a, a, an interesting background. You were a Marine from 2009 to 2012, spent some time in New York City and just came to Houston to launch uh, Jensen Chronicles. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of uh, what your plans are for the pop-up restaurant. I, I started doing this because I was kind of tired of working for other people. Uh, I spent my entire, you know, uh, youth, 18 to uh, 22 uh, being at the being at the bottom in the in the Marine Corps, and I decided I I wasn't tired of it yet, so I decided to work in the kitchen. <laughs> so uh, I after I did that, I realized that I wasn't making enough money for myself, wasn't making enough money for my family, and I just I, I love cooking, but I wasn't happy doing what I was doing for other people. I didn't always believe in the food, but I did believe in culture. So uh, I decided to come back home because New York was not Texas, honestly, and. Um, I came home and you worked at a restaurant called Dos Brisis. It closed down uh, shortly after me working there for two and a half, three months. And just decided that it was time to take a leap of faith on myself. Obviously, Houston's home for you. And I was reading that uh, you only use locally sourced uh, materials for your for your pop-up dinners there. I mean, can you kind of explain if someone were to come out to the event? First of all, where would they find it? How would they find you? And second of all, what uh, what would that experience be like, particularly to people that are native Houstonians? People, you can definitely find us on uh, at 421 San Jacinto Street. Uh, the restaurant is called Rachel's Cafe. Uh, they do uh, breakfast and lunch typically. Uh, but we've worked something out to where we can take over for them at nighttime on weekends and uh, do pop-up dinners there. Um, you can also go on eventbrite.com, type in uh, Jensen Chronicles, and you'll find us on there. Or you can go to my Instagram page, which is Earth uh, Earth Tone Butcher. It's Earth underscore Tone with two N's underscore Butcher. And that's uh, that's my Instagram. 
we're trying to low keep everything Texas and make sure everything is truly local. So we work with local artists and local potters to uh, create our plates. And our plates are made for each particular dish and it has its own purpose. Uh, so I'll work with them as far as the design, the architecture for it, to make sure that when the dish goes on the plate that it looks a certain way, it gives you a certain texture, a certain feel, makes you feel a certain way because food is very much about seeing and feeling than it is actually eating. So if somebody were interested uh, in coming out, what would be a selling point for them? I mean, what uh, what can they expect if they come out to uh, to eat on the 31st? Well, on this uh, this this first menu that we ran is uh, for the entire month of January. The menu would change on February 11th. But uh, for this menu, it's really focused on uh, my time as a Marine that I spent in uh, Afghanistan, northern and southern Afghanistan, and also Pakistan. So it's very focused on uh, Middle Eastern culture. Uh, I know a lot of people think they have an idea of what Middle Eastern culture is, but it's a lot more than lamb, cucumbers, and yogurt. So uh, we want to give uh, we want to give all those influence out. We want to take a different twist and show everybody uh, some of the things that I, I got to eat uh, as we patrol through the villages and cities there. Yeah, Johnny, for our listeners real quick, could you give them sort of like a, a menu or like what the menu might look like that night? For your, I'll give you an idea. For your uh, for your first course, you're going to have a charred sweet potato, which is going to go with a smoked sweet potato demi-glace. Uh, curry with goat cheese, and you also have crispy couscous with that. Uh, another, another one of our favorites that people have was the uh, the smoked candy yam and chicken sausage. They have caramelized yogurt, roasted carrots, and lemon confit. And you get a little bit of crispy uh, chicken cracklings in there for texture and a little bit more flavor. And then uh, for dessert, we actually had a, a goat milk ice cream, which is made of golden milk, which is a tea that we had in Afghanistan. And it's going to go with a little bit with a uh, caraway granita and waffle crumble. That all sounds very, very appetizing. And Johnny, we definitely appreciate you taking the time out to join us and kind of tell us about Jensen Chronicles and the pop-up restaurant and kind of what it's doing for the Houston culinary scene. And uh, just one more time for our listeners, if you can, can you tell us how they can find you, how they can find out about this pop-up restaurant and how they can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at 421 San Jacinto Street. It's on the corner of Prairie and uh, Carolina. Um, you can, uh, excuse me, Prairie and San Jacinto. And uh, you can also go on eventbrite.com, type in Jensen Chronicles, or uh, find me on Instagram, Earth Tone Butcher. That's Earth underscore Toned with two N's and underscore Butcher. That's Johnny Rhodes. Go ahead and check him out if you're in the Houston area in the next week. Johnny, we appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So episode 27 of The Weekly Brew podcast was quite packed. Again, thanks to Matt Malatesta for joining us, talking all things Houston sports, high school athletics, recruiting, as we get you prepared for February 3rd and National Signing Day. Also, it was interesting to talk about North Korea, to talk about Catherine Smith and uh, the comments that were, you know, the vile comments that were created and originated from Cleveland. Also, if you are in Houston, make sure to check out Johnny Rhodes' Pomp Up Restaurant on January 31st. Again, thanks to Johnny for joining us. But guys, I'm curious. We definitely covered the entire gamut this week. Did you enjoy the podcast? Uh, Matt Malatesta, particularly good guest, I think, because obviously the work I do overlaps a lot with what he does, and I'm very familiar with his stuff. So that was a, a great get for us, and I enjoyed his perspective. And, um, you know, I'm not a foodie, but just hearing the descriptions of the menu for the upcoming menu, I'm excited. I'll be there myself. I think you're going to try to come as well. So listeners should definitely make an attempt to come out and try what is a very unique-sounding experience, and I trust it'll be very exciting. Yeah, no, I, I love the podcast. I just can't stop thinking about food now. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but I think I'm going to head over to We Desserts for some beignets, actually. I like it. 
And make sure that you mention that you are a listener or a host of The Weekly Brew, and uh, you will get 10% off. So, uh, again, all of our listeners, uh, make sure that you go and check out We Desserts, especially on February 1st for their two-year anniversary. All desserts in the bakery will be just $2. But, Kevin, it's that time of the week now. We had an iTunes review. Tell us about it. So uh, another iTunes review. This one's five stars. Of course, I only read the five-star ones. Solid, entertaining podcast. Thank you to T Brown 2346 I listen to many different podcasts daily on my commute, and this one just firmly planted itself in the rotation. Great hosts and high-quality audio. Very well done. Uh, thank you in particular for pointing out the quality of the audio on the review there because uh, I've done a lot of reading of these podcast me- message boards and stuff now, and people complain so much about audio quality, and I've heard some podcasts with really poor audio quality so that's a great thing in particular to point out and something we do very well and we're very proud of here at the podcast so thank you to t brown 2346 that's a great review and i would encourage any other listeners to go out there and give another review like it can you hear how happy i sound right now i just it's my whole day is better you can make me this happy very easily it just takes a click and a couple of keystrokes Folks, we encourage you to make Kevin a happier person. Go to iTunes. Give us five-star reviews. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Also, make sure to follow us on our social media pages. You can find us at Weekly Brewcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also find us at weeklybrewcast.com. Guys, I enjoyed this week. I had a lot of fun. Look forward to discussing uh, the Super Bowl preview in episode 28. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But as always, for my co-host, Jeremy Paxton and Kevin Cook, I'm Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. And brew responsibly. But wait, there's more. So welcome to this auxiliary piece of the Weekly Brew podcast. I'm Kevin Cook. That's at K Michael Cook on Twitter. I would love and appreciate a follow there. And uh, I think you'd enjoy what I have to say. Uh, the reason we're doing this auxiliary piece is because my co-host had other things to be doing, and somehow we neglected to talk NBA on the podcast this week, even though we are in the heart of the NBA season, something I personally care deeply about and uh, want to talk about. So uh, I was given free reign just to record a little auxiliary segment for you, and uh, we'll get into some of the news, particularly around here in the city of Houston. Uh, biggest news would be Josh Smith back on the Houston Rockets roster. Uh, of course, he was let go in free agency last year. The Clippers picked him up, um, trying to establish what some called at the beginning of the season one of the deepest benches in the league. Lance Stevenson also a part of that. Hadn't panned out uh, with the Clippers, to say the least. They are struggling a little bit this season, not as much as the Rockets, but um, certainly have not uh, lived up to expectations, and they traded him back to us for a song, actually sent some cash along with him. Um, So he's obviously happy to be back here. Uh, I think when he came, uh, was being introduced to the media again, Patrick Beverly said, uh, welcome back or welcome home, buddy, Jace Move. Uh, one of the better nicknames in the NBA, I think. But uh, clearly, the guys are happy to have him back. And, you know, five, six years ago, I didn't think I would ever be saying this, but he is uh, a good chemistry guy for the Rockets. You know, he's Dwight Howard's uh, best man at his wedding, I believe, or, or, or Dwight Howard was his best man. I can't remember which, but uh, close buddies. They played AAU ball together, um, a relationship that goes uh, way back there. And Dwight has reportedly been unhappy at various points this season. And I was called an idiot on social media by someone for... Uh, describing Dwight as a malcontent. Um, Well, I think you're the idiot guy, uh, whoever you are. You're probably not listening at this point anyway. But I think there's some truth to that. Whenever there's uh, smoke, there's fire with Dwight Howard, and he has been unhappy in the past, and we've seen what's happened. So uh, Jay Smoove, uh, welcome back, buddy. Um, Actually was a key piece in the Rockets' victory over the Mavericks today. It was nice to see him playing well. He had 16 points, three rebounds, two blocks, two steals, and that's exactly what he'll bring to you. Um, Not terribly efficient from the field, uh, and he never really has been in his career, particularly not for someone who's a big guy. He likes to kind of step out and play from the perimeter, which is, um, you know, I think everybody in the world would love to see him really 
pounded into the post, but he is who he is at this point, and he's a guy who's going to stuff the stat sheet across the board, give you lots of energy on defense, particularly if he's getting his touches on offense. So certainly glad to have him back, or at least I am, and uh, he's an entertaining character as well. In other NBA news, David Blatt is out as the coach of the Cavaliers after guiding the team to an NBA Finals last season and the number one record in the East this year, which leaves a hole at the coaching spot in terms of the All-Star game. Um, actually, there's some interesting stuff happening on the Western side as well, but uh, so there have been some who've questioned whether Tyron Lue should get the coaching uh, gig at the All-Star game for the East. Um, I think this is a no-brainer here. Uh, you go with Dwayne Casey. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are second in the East. Uh, the game's in Toronto. I think it would be a really classy move to have Casey uh, coach the team and it makes sense since Tyron Lue has I believe lost one game now as the head coach um, and has not been the head coach for very long and Blatt obviously as an unemployed coach is not going to be the coach of the team despite what Tyron Lue said to the media actually advocating for Blatt as the coach of the East even though he is um, currently unemployed but uh, more interestingly I think on the western side you have the Luke Walton Steve Kerr debate so Steve Kerr has been out for the season uh, multiple back surgeries recovering from them and uh, he hasn't been traveling with the team until very recently. And Luke Walden coached the team, uh, obviously that 24-0 start, and then a very good record after that. Um, they've been, I believe, the second best team in the NBA uh, in the past eight weeks or so. But uh, So there's been some debate, should Luke Walton coach, should Steve Kerr coach? He was out. Um, should they have another team coach? Uh, represent the uh, the West here, but I think that this is also a no-brainer to me. Why not have Luke Walton coach the All-Star team? I know he didn't get credit for the wins in terms of the official NBA coaching stats. All of those wins, I think it's 34-6, and six, went to uh, Steve Kerr's record, which I also think is a problem and not really totally fair because uh, Luke Walton really has been there uh, the whole time and actually has been in control of this team. But as a makeup kind of a call, why not have him coach the Western team? I mean, who really cares anyway? It'd be a great honor for him. I think he's earned it. And I think that it would be a classy move again. So my picks for the coaches probably won't happen this way, by the way, based on what I've been reading. But in my picks, uh, the coach should be Luke Walton and should be Dwayne Casey. Uh, we'll see if that happens. And then most importantly this week, we had the all-star starters uh, given to us. That's fan voting, of course. And it's been weird in recent years. You know, you have two uh, backcourt and three front court players instead of having, you know, the guards, forwards, and center. I preferred the older style because I like seeing actual centers out there playing basketball, and this sort of discourages them, as we'll see. So for the West, you've got Kobe starting. That's appalling. No one's surprised by this, of course. It's his farewell tour and everything else. But, I mean, come on. Kobe winning the vote. It shows why fan voting is not ideal, I think, for this sort of system. Particularly when we look back years later and say, oh, you know, that guy, he should be a Hall of Famer. He made you know 12 All-Star appearances. Well, Kobe didn't deserve an All-Star appearance this year. It's, again, sort of a Lifetime Achievement Award. So... I'm not crazy about that, but it is what it is. And behind Kobe, you've got Stephen Curry, obviously very deserving. Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and Russell Westbrook. Hard to argue with any of those there, except that as you notice, there is no starting center there. Kevin Durant is the tallest guy in that group. Is he going to be your uh, your center when you roll the guys uh, out there on the court? I have no idea. Uh, for the East, you've got Carmelo Anthony. Paul George, LeBron James, Kyle Lowry, and Dwayne Wade. And Wade is definitely my pick there for a guy who most didn't deserve to get it. Carmelo Anthony, also questionable choice. But that's what happens when you have fan voting, of course. And if you notice there, I mean, who's playing center in that lineup? 
I guess it would be LeBron. So you're talking about five under five in the beginning of the All-Star game. The guys playing center are going to be who? LeBron and Durant? That's uh, it's why I think we should return to actually voting in a center, somebody who plays the five position most of the time, because you still have some really good, exciting talent out there, and it would look more like a real basketball game and less like some sort of video game scenario someone dreamed up. Um, but what has to be happening now, obviously, is the coaches are going to name uh, the reserves, and there are actually seven reserves, Um relative to five starters. So more players will get into the all-star game as coaches selections than as fan selections, which is generally a good thing. So what I have here are not my predictions uh, necessarily. These are just the people I think deserve to make it given that we already have those starting lineups established. So um, the way it works is for the seven reserves, you have two guards, three front court, and then two, they call them wild cards, which is amusing. It means it can be either, you know, guard or front court or whatever. So uh, for the West here, I've got James Harden, not a homer pick. I am a homer, but that's not a homer pick. He deserves to be there. The team is down. I get that. He is still a superlative player, still does a lot of things better than anybody else in the league, and it would be a travesty if James Harden weren't there, and I think he probably will be. My second guard there would be Chris Paul. Don't like him, but I think he deserves to be an all-star this year. Uh, Then the forwards, these are great. These are some of the best. Draymond Green somehow didn't get selected as a starter. Um, he absolutely should have been. And then Demarcus Cousins, which if you guys are uh, faithful listeners, you may know is one of my favorite players in the NBA. Um, I actually saw his little brother playing with University of South Florida against my Houston Cougars, who lost the other day. That was uh, that was very sad. But anyway, so Green, Cousins, and of course, Anthony Davis. I mean, that's that's got to be your choice there. And then for my wild cards... I didn't really like picking Griffin, but even though he's been out um, for extended periods of time with injury, the guy is an all-star. I mean, he plays hard. He plays well. He's a guy that you're probably going to see in that game as well. And then Damian Lillard um, is a guy that deserves to be there. Probably won't be. I think he's the guy that's going to get left out of a lot of, um, or left out of the coach's selections. But Damian Lillard is deserving of being there this year. 24.6 points, 6.9 assists, a couple buzzer beating shots this season. He's been really electric and is basically all that Portland has going for it. So it's, uh, that would be my pick. I don't think it's probably going to happen with him. Uh, then over on the East, these were easier, I think. Um, for my two guards, I got uh, Jimmy Butler and John Wall. Who Again, John Wall is another one where the Wizards have been disappointing. Um, obviously, wasn't voted in as a starter, but John Wall is still an electric superstar type talent in this league. And he's a guy you want to see at an all-star game. He's a guy who can do fun, special things uh, with no defense being played, which is obviously how the all-star game works. For the three forwards, I've got Millsap. Drummond and Chris Bosch. Bosch, a bit of a legacy pick. Obviously still very talented, kind of uh, beginning the tail end of his career here, but it would be hard to imagine an all-star game without Bosch. He's been there for, for 10 of them, I believe. And then my two wild cards. This is where some people might have issues. DeMar DeRozan, very deserving. Also, again, nice to see Toronto players uh, representing um, there. And then Reggie Jackson would be my odd pick. Kind of like Lillard on the other side. Reggie Jackson's been playing very, very well. And um, I think that he may not, he may get left off those coaches' selections, but he ought to be there. So that rounds out my all-star team. We'll see who the coaches select. It'll be interesting to watch, but uh, certainly... I wish the fans were a little more knowledgeable and a little more uh, up-to-date and contemporary with the voting because Kobe, come on. Come on, guys. Kobe? Anyway, that's my NBA Minute. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 